Revelation 7, 1 through 17. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I thank you that the words we sang in that last song were more than just words, but the love of Jesus is in fact deep, deep, deep beyond our imagination, deep enough to save any sinner, deep enough to reach all of the nations, deep deep enough to stretch across this earth, deep enough to last forever and ever and ever and ever. And I pray that today, Father, that you would open our eyes to the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
Oh, let no one leave this room today, Father, without knowing that your love is real and that your love is personal and that your love is for them and that your love is for all the nations of this world. Father, I love you. I surrender myself to you, and I pray that you would come now and accomplish your purposes in the life of your church, both the glory of Christ and, and the greater church of the Twin Cities, I pray. In the mighty and merciful name of Jesus Christ alone, I trust. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of spending the day in Minneapolis with David Gunderson as he did what he does among Somali peoples. Most of you know that David is an appointed missionary to the Somalis, and he serves under an organization called Serving in Missions, or SIM for short. And so I've always kind of wanted to tag along with you, David, and I asked you, and you were gracious enough to say yes and let me... Let me uh, shadow you as you did what you did, and that day really made an impact on my life. It made an impact on my thinking about the Twin Cities. It made an impact on my thinking about glory of Christ, and I, I want to talk with you about that today and ma- mainly just get us to pray and get us to start seeking the Lord about what he might do. As that day progressed, we met with David's ministry partners down at World Relief Minnesota in Richfield. And then we went to a couple Somali malls, which are nothing like our malls, but they're places where Somalis gather for business and fellowship and all of that. We went to a Starbucks that might as well have been in Somalia because the only white people were David and I and a couple people that were working there. It was really stunning to me to see that in Minneapolis and so many places we went that day, I really felt like we had been transported to another country. I, I really did. It, it smelt and looked and, and, and seemed a lot more like India or, or Somalia or wherever, much more than, than America. In fact, in the, in the malls, I never even heard anybody speaking English beside us. And so it was quite an impactful uh, day. At noontime, we attended a prayer meeting with a number of people that are doing work among the Somalis, and uh, it was really fruitful for us to gather there and just hear what they're up to and pray into a, a number of things that God is doing among the Somali peoples here and, and around the world, in fact. And as we were huddled there in prayer in South Minneapolis at this little church, I began to remember a, a prayer meeting that I used to attend many years ago, back in 1990, with another group of prayer warriors. I remember being huddled in the basement of Bethlehem Baptist Church with Pastor John and a guy named Russ Gregg and some others who were faithful to that prayer meeting. And I remember just praying day by day by day that God would grant us the grace to take the gospel to the nations of the world and that God would in fact draw the nations of the world to us. And I don't think I could have imagined in 1990 that God would do that and to the extent that he would do that by our day. It's been really amazing to see what God has done. And as we sat there praying, I also, I remembered Russ Gregg taking me. He, Russ Gregg, by the, now, by the way, now runs a ministry called Hope Academy in downtown Minneapolis that tries to educate inner city young people, really a, a, a long and fruitful ministry in the city, so he's still around. But I remember back in those days, I was a young believer, and Russ took me to some mosques that were in town, even in those days, in a couple of Buddhist temples. And we walked in there and, and intermixed with some of the leaders there and, and uh, talked with them and then went away and prayed together. And what I didn't know is that I was seeing the first trickles of what would later become an absolute deluge, a flood of foreign immigration in, into our, our cities. And so now, fast forward 22 years later, and there I am a couple weeks ago sitting in downtown Minneapolis, huddled with people praying, not that God would bring the nations to us, but that God would give us passion and power and vision and resources to reach the nations that are in fact among us. 
really took my breath away to sit there and listen to people who are giving their lives to reach the nations in the Twin Cities talk about all the countries that are living here among us now. I was unaware of the extent of the immigration that's among us. So I, I began to do some research. And over the last couple of weeks, I've read quite a lot of material from the state of Minnesota and from the Minnesota Board of Education. We now live shoulder to shoulder with peoples from Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar, Bhutan, India, Nepal, Pakistan, Bangladesh, China, Korea, Japan, Eastern and Western Europe, Ethiopia, Liberia, Somalia, Kenya, Colombia, Guatemala, El Salvador, Mexico, and yes, even people from Iowa, if you can believe that. Just kidding. I didn't make that list up. I took those countries as a sampling of a large list that have been put together by various organizations in our state to help us understand the nature of immigration that's happened in our midst in the last 20 years and especially in the last 10 years. It is stunning to me to realize that somewhere around 500,000 foreign immigrants have have come to this state in in about a 10-year span of time. Now in California, if 500,000 new people came, nobody would even notice that they were there. But in Minnesota, that is 10% of our population and it's, a, foreign, it's, a, it's a, a number of foreign peoples that have never lived among us. So it's truly stunning to me. It's something that we need to stand up and take notice of. It's not one or two peoples. It's many peoples from many nations have come and settled among us. And I think this is going to grow and grow and grow. The, the trend will not slow down, I don't think. And I think it's important for us to understand that the growing diversity of our state is not just located in the, the cities, in Minneapolis and St. Paul and in, in first and second ring suburbs, but it is already reaching out here to, to the northwest Twin Cities. It is. I had a, a friend, uh, Michael Niederer, is that his name? Michael Niederer is a guy that works under World Relief with something called the Somali Adult Literacy Training. Yeah. He's giving his life to reach Somalis both here and and in Somalia, in fact. And he did some research for me and sent me some information that showed that in our school district, in the Elk River School District, there are 37 different primary languages spoken in the homes of our students. 37. Now, one of those languages is English, so, and that's obviously the majority language. But that leaves 36 other languages that are spoken as the primary language in homes in Elk River. And that represents more than 36 nations because, as you know, some nations share a common language. And so the nations have already come to the Northwest Twin Cities. And I promise you, in the next five to ten years, that's going to increase and increase and increase. In, in 10 years from now, Elk River will look very different. And what I want to ask us today is, are we ready? Do we have eyes to see? The three questions in specific that I want to put before us today, there are these. Will we have eyes to see immigration in the state of Minnesota as God sees it? It's a really important question. It's a really, really important question. Two. Are we willing to play the part that God would have us play in reaching the nations of the world that are now in our midst? Or, conversely, number three, will we cling to the old ways and the old days and stick with our own kind? What will we do? Kim had a conversation this week with a friend of hers, someone who's outside this church, 
who was just honestly expressing her heart to Kim and said, why, why do we need to bother ourselves with all these races that have come to Minnesota? There's a lot of white people going to hell too. Why don't we just focus on, on the white people? And to be honest with you, I'm very glad that she was honest like that because I think that her sentiment expresses what a lot of people in Minnesota feel. If you're being really, really honest, I, I think that a lot of people feel that way. And so I'm, I appreciate honesty because now we can have a real conversation, right? If we pretend like we don't have these feelings, then something's wrong. And even in my own heart, I'll be the first to confess. It amazes me the kinds of thoughts that go through my mind and that reside in my heart and how uncomfortable it is for me to think about mixing with people that are unlike me. I'm certainly not standing up here speaking down my nose at anybody today because all of these sentiments are in me too, okay? So, but I'm glad that this woman at least said it out loud because now we can talk about it. And if I had had a chance to be in that conversation and if the situation was right, and she's a friend of ours, we'll probably be able to talk about these things again with her. I would just ask several questions and, and here are three of them. What if God himself has drawn the nations to us in order to win some people from every tribe and tongue and nation? What if the immigration in Minnesota has to do with God's vision for the nations of the world? Maybe it's not about us. Maybe it's about God. Question number two. What if God's vision for the nations of the world poses a threat to our way of life in Minnesota? Are we willing to embrace God's vision over our way of life or, or not? Question number three. Let me just take the Somalis as an example. There are, if I'm right about this, David, about 77,000, right? Somewhere in the midst of, in the, in the range of 77,000 Somalians in the state of Minnesota alone. As far as we know, there are only 40 Christians among them. I just let that sink in. 77,000 human beings fashioned in the image of God and relocated from everything that they knew as, as home and heritage are in our midst and only 40 of them know the love of Christ Jesus. How will the Somalis in our midst come to know Jesus Christ if we don't cross cultures and do the uncomfortable work of bringing the gospel to them? How will it happen? I'll tell you, if your answer is, well, let those 40 people share the gospel with their people, I'll tell you that's harder than it might sound. To, to the Somali people, a, a, a Christian is as good as dead. There's a saying in Somalia. It says a Somali Christian is a dead Somali. And they don't just mean that theoretically, by the way. So if we want to put on the shoulders of 40 Somalians that now you have to risk your life and go reach 77,000 other people, I just don't think we're being very, very Christian to them. They need our help, beloved. And the Somalians are only one people group among us. And there are other people groups among us where there are no known believers. So if we, the white church in the state of Minnesota, don't cross the line and bring the gospel to these people, how will they ever know the love of God in Christ Jesus? How will they know? How will they know? I think God has done this. I think God is inviting us into his vision to reach the nations. And I pray to God that we will have a heart to do just that. I will be the first to acknowledge that not every white Christian in Minnesota ought to be involved in cross-cultural ministries. Different people have different callings. Different people have different gifts. But what I do want to say is that all of us, 
as individuals, as a church, as the greater church of Minnesota, I do pray that we have eyes to see what God is doing for his kingdom and for eternity. The immigration that's come into our state is not about us. It is about the kingdom of God. And I do pray that we'd have eyes to see his plan. It's a glorious plan. It's an exciting plan. It is a a, a joy-producing plan, but it will call upon us to do what we've been talking about the last couple weeks here at this church. We have to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus all the way. We need to join him in his work of seeking and saving the lost. Again, each of us has different parts to play, but I think we can all be a part of God's plan for the world and for the Twin Cities. So again, the questions are, do we have eyes to see this as God sees it, and are we willing to play our part? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that was in them, and he declared that everything he created was very, very good because it was an expression of his own being. He created humankind in his image, male and female. He created them, and he planted them in the Garden of Eden, which means the Garden of Delight. And he told them to work hard for the glory of his name and the joy of, of, of their own souls. The Lord told them that they could indulge of anything in that garden except for one single thing. He said, don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you and I know that they did that one thing that God had told them not to do. And because of their rebellion, because of their sin against God, their intimacy between them and God and between each other was broken. And the intimacy between their offspring and God was also broken. Sin entered the world and entered into humanity and it was a, a devastating thing that we're still feeling the concussion of to this day. The sin of Adam and Eve was like a nuclear bomb that went off. And you know when a bomb goes off, the concussion goes flying across the land. And often it's the concussion itself that causes all the damage. Well, we're still feeling the concussion of what they did in our day. So many thousands of years later. But God is merciful beyond our imagination. And even as he was rebuking them for what they had done, he began promising them that he would send them a savior. And if we had time, I would go back to to Genesis 3 with you again and show you that Jesus Christ is already being prophesied right there in Genesis 3 because God is tremendously gracious. Part of his discipline of these people was to banish them from the garden of delight that he had created for them. And, and so he drove them into another part of the earth. And as time went on, people and people prospered on the earth. They decided, if you will, to make their own garden. And at the center of the garden, they were going to build this tower, this massive tower called the Tower of Babel. And it would be really the center of human culture on the earth. But God saw this as a threat, not to him, but to his vision for the earth. Because he had instructed these people to scatter all over the face of the planet. And they were disobeying him. And so he came down and he confused their languages so that they could not communicate with each other. And in this way, he dispersed them across the earth. And because he did that, the nations of this world came into being. God did this. God created the nations of the earth. God scattered the nations of the earth across the face of the planet. When the time was right and and due to nothing other than the counsel of his own will... God chose one man out of all of the nations. His name originally was Abram. Later he was called Abraham. And God promised that he would bless all the nations of the world through this man. 
More specifically, he said, Abraham, I will bless you. I will give you the land that we all now call Israel or, or Palestine. And I will bless your offspring. I will, I will bless your progeny. And, and most specifically, we saw some months ago that the Bible means by that one specific offspring who would become a savior of the world. The Lord was talking about Jesus Christ and he said, through this one, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And so Abraham began to walk with God and became, in fact, a friend of God. He eventually had a son in his old age named Isaac who had two sons who had one of whom had 12 sons who became the tribes of the nations of Israel that we just heard about from Revelation chapter 7. And God prospered these tribes and made them into a nation first in Egypt and then in their own land. He brought them kings and prophets and blessed them greatly in order to glorify his name across the face of the earth. And even though this people rebelled against God again and again, and sometimes even cheated on him, committing adultery against him by worshiping other gods, the Lord God Almighty stayed faithful to his promise to Abraham and he stayed faithful to the people of Israel because one day he intended to bring a savior for all nations through them. And he did just that. When the time was full, Jesus Christ, who is God, took on flesh and took on the form of a servant. He became a Jew, and he lived among them. He lived a perfectly righteous life, which is to say that he never sinned on this earth. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way like we are, but he never sinned like we do. And when the time was full, he had to suffer many things at the hands of the the leaders of his people, of the Jews and also the Romans. We looked at that the last couple of weeks. We saw that he died a horrible death on a cross, but that three days later he overcame death and this day he lives, he lives, he lives, and he will live forevermore. God sent Jesus Christ to provide salvation for the nations of the world. Not long after Jesus had been risen from the dead, he gathered with his disciples not once but twice. And he gave them a command to go to all of the nations and bring the good news of who he was and what he had done to every people on the face of this earth. He did it first up in Galilee, and then later in Acts chapter 1, we see he repeated himself in Jerusalem. He said, I want you to go on the basis of my authority, preach this good news everywhere you go, so that some persons from every tribe and tongue and nation will come to believe in me. And praise be to God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the early believers did just that, so that one generation has preached the gospel to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, all the way down to our own time, for some 2,000 years now. Because Christ had a vision for the nations, and because his disciples were obedient one generation at a time, we believe in Jesus Christ in this room today. If it was not for his activity over the last couple thousand years among the nations, none of us would believe. None of us. And I want to remind us that even here in America, we have to remind ourselves Christianity does not belong to us. We, beloved, are Gentiles. We are actually foreigners to the people of God, the chosen people of Israel. The Bible says in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that we were grafted into the tree of Abraham by the grace of God, 
by the grace of God. And we should not be haughty about that. We should remember that, that we are outsiders in a sense, grafted into a, a tree by grace, a tree into which we don't belong. God has done this and it's a great thing. And now, as people who have been grafted into Christ, he gives us that great commandment that he gave to his first disciples to go to other nations and make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything whatsoever that Jesus has commanded. And as we do that, God will build up his church. Now, for the majority of the history of Europe and America, this command implied that we had to send some of our people on ships and later on planes to various places all around this world. And and we have done that for many centuries as a people. And this need is going to continue to, to, to be. There are great things that God is doing all over this globe, and we will need to call on some of you to lay down your life in America, pull up stakes, and go to other parts of the world to preach the gospel where it has not been preached. Michael Niederer the other day was talking to us about what his original heart was for missions, and he said he wanted to go to as, as far as you can stand, is the way he put it. He just wanted to go to the farthest place of the earth where nobody had ever heard the gospel and preached the gospel. But the Lord did an amazing thing in this man's life. He said no to him, and he made him come to the Twin Cities, and, and, and unbeknownst to Michael Niederer, God was going to bring nations to the Twin Cities And did you know that that four of the top unreached people groups on the planet are now represented and live in the Twin Cities, four of them? And Michael Niederer is giving his life to reach out to these people. One of of those unreached peoples, I don't remember their, their clan name, but they're from Somalia. The head of that clan is like a prince in Somalia, and he's a personal friend of Michael Niederer's. Right now, he's off in Mogadishu trying to help them put their their constitution together and all of that. But this guy lives in Plymouth. He's the prince over 20,000 people, almost totally unreached people, and he lives in Plymouth. And so God called Michael Niederer to go to as far as Ukanistan, and it turned out to be Plymouth, Minnesota. Isn't that wild? I just, I'm telling you, this is shaking me up over the last couple of weeks. I'm like, wow, we need a paradigm shift here, man. We got to think differently. For centuries, the West has had to think about foreign missions as solely the purview of those who get on ships and planes and go to other parts of the world. That will continue to be. But now we have to open up our minds that some of us will have to raise up and go to foreign peoples and never, ever leave the Twin Cities. It's a paradigm shift. Some of us have to open up to the idea that we have to work hard and lay our lives down and give lots of money to support people who are going as missionaries, but they never leave Minnesota, and we see them week after week after week because God has drawn the nations here, and the work is not just over there now. The work is also here, and I just feel stunned by this. I feel privileged by what God is doing in our midst, and I pray to God that we'll have the eyes to see and the heart to get involved in what he is doing. As we play our part in this global vision of God to save some people from every tribe and and, and nation, God will build up his church. And Revelation 7 and Revelation 19 provide two snapshots of us of, of where this whole thing is going and the ultimate vision that God has. So I know we've already read it, but will you please turn your attention with me again to Revelation 7? I want to read this text again. 
And then I want to read some more verses from Revelation 19 because this is the snapshot of why we ought to care about the nations and not just those that are on foreign lands, but those who have come right into our own backyard. So first, Revelation 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, which you remember means the tribe of praise. That's the tribe of Jesus there. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. So many different nations, but all clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, what a privilege it would have been to see that. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that interesting language? Generally, when you dip a robe in blood, it doesn't come out white. But this is the symbol that although we're diverse nations, we all become clean before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, their pastor. And He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Oh, hallelujah. Let it come, Lord Jesus. Now please turn with me. Revelation chapter 19. I just want to read the first nine verses. Revelation 19, 1 through 9. This is the destiny of every person who believes in Jesus Christ. After this, 
I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. That is the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And beloved, those are the true words of God. That's a vision of eternity that is going to come to pass. The Lord prophesied so many things throughout the Old Testament, both, both about uh, events in the Old Testament and events that transpired in the New Testament and events that are to, yet to transpire in our day. And every one of them has come true, the, the most important of which was the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when the Lord puts a vision like this for us in Revelation and says this is going to come to pass, we better believe that it's true. This is the destiny of the nations. This is our destiny in Jesus Christ. The multitude that God will gather before him will be so great, John says, that nobody will be able to count the number of it. Oh, how glorious a day that's going to be. And it will be made up of people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. It will be a glorious day. It will be a joy-filled day. It will be a day that causes us to worship the Lord forever and ever and ever together as one people in Christ from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. But as I've said to you before, those nations won't just get to the throne. The the Father has a plan for how he's going to bring those nations to his throne. And the plan is simple. Go and make disciples for the glory of Christ of all nations. Go and do this. Go to peoples that are not like you and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and how I pray that we'll not only hear that call, but that we'll be excited about it and thrilled about it, and willing to take up our cross and do something about it, whether, whether in a big way or a small way. Some of us will have ministries with ones and twos. Some of us will have ministries with whole peoples. The details are God's business. All I'm saying is, let's see what God is doing in bringing nations to himself, and let's play our part. Let's be excited about this. So, what are we to do specifically? How shall we act in response to everything that I've been talking about today and what God is doing in our midst and the vision God has in the book of Revelation? How should we shape our ministries here at Glory of Christ to, to take account of what God is doing in, our, in the Twin Cities? 
Well, these are very big questions, and honestly, in a matter a span of just a couple of weeks, I don't have answers for them right now. But I want to call you to pray with me about that. I want to call you to pray with me, and I really mean this. Please pray with me about what God would have us do. Please pray that God would prepare us as the flood of immigration hits Elk River in the next five or ten years. Pray that we'll be a church that will be ready to embrace it with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we'll know what to do. Please, please pray with me. For now, I just have seven points or six points of application for us. Not all of them will relate to all of us, but I'm sure some of them will relate to all of us. So let me just close with these six practical points of application. First of all, I want to encourage you to join me in doing some research and just getting to know who's in the Twin Cities. And then when you find out some facts, just pray. Pray and pray and pray. You can Google Twin Cities Immigration and a lot of stuff will come up. The state has a lot of things. The Department of Education has a lot of things. I have a couple documents that I've saved that I'd be glad to share with you if you'd like to do that. But what I'm asking you to do is is to broaden your awareness of the nations that are in our midst. I'll be honest with you, I feel stunned by what I've learned in the last two weeks. I had no idea of the breadth of peoples that were among us. And I want to invite you into that stun with me. So, Research and pray, 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 pray. Ask God to do something about it and maybe use us in the process. Number two, spend some time with people who are reaching out to the nations in our midst. I I don't want to commit you to this, David, because I didn't bother asking you before I preached about it, but I'll bet you if you asked David if you could go go with him down to Minneapolis and hang out with him for a day, he'd probably say yes if you ask him really nicely anyway, right? He'd probably say yes. And if he can't do it, he probably could connect you with somebody down there who's doing ministry. I want to strongly encourage you. It's just right down the road. Spend a day with someone who's reaching the nations. One of the best ways to get a heart for the nations is to rub shoulders with people who are laying down their lives for the nations. So just do it. It's so easy. When I went to India those several times, it cost a lot of money, took a lot of time, all this stuff. Well, when I went with David down to the Somali malls, it cost 11 bucks for the North Star and a couple more bucks for some snacks here and there, and that was it. And I felt like I had been transported to the other side of the world. So please, either with him or somebody else, please take a day, take a day. You won't regret it. And go rub shoulders with people who are seeking to reach the nations. Number three, a related point. Consider attending an event by an organization like Transform Minnesota. They used to be called Greater Minnesota Association of Evangelicals. They're kind of the evangelical uh, thing that's happening in the Twin Cities, and I'd really encourage you to look at their website. It's called transformminnesota.org, and uh, attend one of their events. In two weeks from now, they have a a whole weekend thing on multi-ethnic churches. And it might be great for you just to get in the midst of people that are giving their lives to reach the nations. And again, one of the best ways to get a heart for the nations is to hang out with people who have a heart for the nations. Number three, I think, or number four. To me, this is probably one of the most important things. Make a friend with someone from another culture. And now, you don't need to go to the cities to do this. You can find somebody right here in in, in Elk River area. You can do this. Pray and ask God to bring you someone from another culture and make a friend of that person. I I promise you, if you make a friend of someone who's from another culture, your heart for their culture will greatly increase. Greatly increase. I remember when I was living in Dinkytown many years ago, I, I made a friend of a Japanese guy. His name was Yuki, and we got to be really good friends. And it was kind of a joke because we lived in a house with 20 people. There were six American Christians. The rest were, or five of us were American Christians. The rest were international students. And Yuki and I got to be really good friends. 
He was from Japan. I was trying to share the gospel with him and all that, but one way or the other, we were going to be friends. Well, we found out one day that our birthday was both in February, and our birthday, it was both on the 16th of February, and both of us had birthday in 1967. So we had the exact same month, day, and year of birthday. So we started telling everybody we were twins, separated at birth, and all this stuff, you know? I'm going to tell you something. I I cared about the Japanese people before I knew Yuki, but when Yuki became my good friend, I had an aching passion for the Japanese people to know Christ. So make a friend. It's a big, big deal. Number five, be willing to work hard and offer financial support to missionaries who will never leave the Twin Cities, people that you'll rub shoulders with Sunday in and Sunday out. This is a paradigm shift. We are used to, in America, supporting missionaries who leave the country. And what I'm saying is, we have to develop a both-and mentality now, where we will send some away, but we also need to give full-time support to some people who will never leave the Twin Cities. Now, you might say, well, why don't they just get a job here and reach people in their extra time? Well, I would say back, because it's more complicated than that. There's no way you're going to reach 500,000 people with the gospel part-time. It's not going to happen. We need full-time missionaries, so be willing to support people. Now, we happen to have one couple right in our midst, the Gunnersons. They didn't ask me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. They still need some support. So maybe you could talk with them and support them in their mission to reach out to Somali peoples. But if not them, someone else. What I'm saying is we need a paradigm shift here of a willingness to give our money, to sacrifice, to support missionaries who will never leave our our cities. It's an amazing thing to me that we're at that place, but I think we're at that place. And number six, I want to talk to those of you who are like 12 to 18 years old. If you're in that category, please listen to me carefully now, because I want to challenge you to think about something for your future. You're in that time of life where you're thinking about where your life is going, what you're going to do with your life, and I just want to encourage you to put this on the table the possibility that God might call you to be a full-time missionary and you would never leave your home state or even your home city. That, might, that could happen. This summer, we're putting together a missions trip for the youth to go down to, to the Somalis. And I pray that many of you will go. And as you go, please be praying. Say, Father, is this something that you would have me do with my life? Because I believe that we need an army of young people to raise up in the Twin Cities to give their lives to reaching the nations that are in our midst. We need that desperately. And maybe you are part of that army. So I want to encourage you to pray along with your parents and consider, bring it before the Lord. Lord, would you call me to be a missionary to a foreign people in Minnesota? That might happen. That might happen. So please, please pray about that. So with these six things, I'll leave them up on the board there for a few moments for you to look at. And otherwise, let me just pray and bring our time to a close. Father, I thank you so much for what you have done in our midst over the last 20 or 30 years in bringing so many peoples to this state. The truth is, Father, that just about everybody in this state is an immigrant anyways. It's just, it's been so long that we've forgotten that we come from foreign lands too. But there was a great settling here, Father, and for so many years it was a pretty homogeneous state, and now you've brought such a great diversity to our midst, and I thank you for doing it, Father. And I pray that by your word that you would give us eyes to see what you're up to. And I pray that by your spirit you would give us a heart to be involved in what you're doing to reach the nations in our very midst. I don't know what your dreams are for glory of Christ in the Northwest Twin Cities exactly, Lord. But I want to be part of it. And I pray that you would help us to see 
So, Father, please inspire us to pray about these things and inspire us to research these things, inspire us to, to seek your will with regard to these things. And as we do that, I pray that you would make your path clear for us as a church. And again, I ask you to glorify yourselves in us and through us and among the nations for, for the glory of your name, Father, for the spread of the gospel. We pray all these things. Amen.